Hello, hello, bright souls. I am so excited to be here for this episode of How to Be a Better Person. I have been working on it and thinking about making it for a long time, <laughs> um, just because it is a topic that's very close to my heart and very important to me. So I do want to talk about the impact of trauma on our brains and on our lives. Uh, I don't want to say minimize because I feel like that sounds wrong, but I do think it's important for people to understand the depths of how we can be impacted. And I think that people sometimes want to tend to sweep it under the rug. So I hope that everyone has been looking forward to this as well. Um, and I will preface it by saying that if you have had any experiences of sexual trauma in the past, um, I am going to be talking about my own struggles with this and how that trauma impacted me and my relationships. So there is potential for some content in this episode to maybe be triggering. Um, I would hope not, but I can't say what's triggering for everybody. So I, I won't be offended if you want to sit this episode out and you decide it's not your cup of tea. However, at the end of the day, my goal with this podcast is to be as authentic as possible. And for me, overcoming my trauma and taking control of the way that I was letting it affect my life was very, very essential to my personal growth and moving forward as a person. Um, so I might not necessarily be thankful for that experience, but I, I know that I'm stronger for it. And I know now that it definitely doesn't run my life or impact my self-esteem or my relationships. So here we are. I'm going to talk about it. So moving right along, when we talk about trauma, it's hard not to bring post-traumatic stress disorder into the conversation. Not every traumatic event is going to result in PTSD, but men and women who experience sexual or repeated trauma at a young age are more likely to develop it. So what is PTSD? Common symptoms include flashbacks, intrusive memories, sleep disturbances or nightmares, anger, anxiety, difficulty concentrating. It's very hard to draw the line between what is PTSD and what is a brain processing trauma. So um, I would just say if you're experiencing any of those symptoms and it's been an extended period of time or they're be beginning to impact your daily function, maybe you're isolating, you're overworking, you're numbing through substance abuse, um, however you're coping, I would just say to highly, you know, I encourage you to seek the help of a licensed professional. Um, there are a lot of things that can cause trauma. And so there's, there's not going to be necessarily one size treatment fits all. <laughs> and we do want to usually jump to sexual treatment because it's so common. Um, but the DSM-5 actually defines trauma as being exposed to actual or threatened death, serious injury, or sexual violence. So, I mean, a person can be traumatized by a motor vehicle accident, exposure to domestic or community violence, um, a very bad dog bite, <laughs> even learning of a friend or a family member's trauma. I mean, these can all cause post-traumatic stress symptoms. <clears throat> when stuff like this is experienced in childhood, especially if it's interpersonal or intentional trauma, there is definitely a huge risk for PTSD or PTSS, um, like dis depression, anxiety, substance abuse. But what a lot of people don't realize is that trauma can actually have a significant impact on your brain structure and function as well, which leads to development and developmental and cognitive impairment. And that can affect you for years and years past the point of the actual trauma. So you can also experience dysregulation of the normal stress and fear responses, as well as impacted production in the brain of serotonin, norepinephrine, dopamine, all these multiple different neurotransmitter systems. 
in the brain, the main areas that are impacted are one, your amygdala, which is what detects threats in the environment and activates your flight or fight response and your sympathetic nervous system. And then two, there's your prefrontal cortex, which is what helps to regulate your awareness, your emotions. It helps you to make decisions about the best response to a situation while inhibiting or correcting dysfunctional responses. So studies of people that are struggling with PTSD show a hyperreactive amygdala and a less activated or reactive prefrontal cortex. So from a personal experience standpoint, um, <laughs> most of my life I've experienced my flight or fight response basically being on crack and I'm always just ready to fight. <laughs> and my emotional awareness and regulation was really, really poor. My first experience with sexual abuse happened when I was really young. Uh, I want to say I was maybe like seven or eight. Um, it was with a family friend. And so there's this, you know, I didn't really understand the depths of what was happening. And at younger ages, when this kind of thing happens, this experience triggers a lot of conflicting emotions because you don't, you know, like you don't know what's happening is wrong, but you, you feel that sense of like, this isn't right, but this is a person... I don't necessarily dislike or trust so I definitely experienced a lot of guilt and shame and I never wanted to tell anybody and I carried that with me for a long time um, and a couple years after that I was also raped I never actually told anyone um, my own parents didn't find out until I was 27 I'm honestly really shocked that I would even talk about this on a podcast um, and I never would have guessed that years ago that I would open up about this kind of thing but I mean, the fact of the matter it is, is that it literally affected me in ways that I didn't realize for years and years. And I do think that, again, I think those things should be talked about because it is the default to want to repress. So if you are or you have experienced a traumatic situation and you haven't allowed yourself to process the events or heal through it, I, again, I'm going to highly encourage you to seek the help of a licensed professional and not numb your emotions or repress your memories. Um, it can be healed. <laughs> I definitely had a lot of difficulty allowing myself to open up to people and for the most part I would say that probably did protect me um, in some ways but in other ways I think that there's the possibility that I damaged a few maybe valuable relationships by never really putting my walls down and allowing myself to be vulnerable. Um, I do know that it also normalized sexual behavior for me at way too young of an age so um, which is unfortunate you know. Um, I do think I chose relationships that weren't healthy for me because of that and, and created dynamics that, you know, if I could go back and things were different, like I wouldn't have chosen that. I wouldn't have wanted that. Um, so I, I do feel that sex sort of defined my relationships, my younger relationships. And I think for a long time, honestly, that is kind of how I felt most valued. Um, I know I had difficulty say, saying no and setting boundaries, which I think is, you know, that's kind of obvious for that to come with that. Um, I was also very easily triggered by aggressive movements and behaviors. Um, this can be referred to as hypervigilance or hyperarousal. And I also struggled with sleeping at night. So both of these are symptoms of your amygdala being overactive and producing excess norepinephrine. That can also cause reactive anger and impulsive behaviors because your prefrontal cortex is less active and not really inhibiting some of your behaviors. 
You might also have difficulty experiencing positive emotion or enjoying day-to-day activities, which is a result of your amygdala communicating with the insula, which is associated with emotional awareness and response to emotional stimuli. So, and then the communication of these two also impact your medial prefrontal cortex, which is associated with emotional regulation and assigning meaning to events. So, I mean, if you're looking at just this right here, it's crazy, right? To look at the way that all of these things in our systems are impacted. And because we're not understanding that this is an irregularity, we sort of form this baseline of what's normal behavior you know i spent the majority of my life behaving in all these different ways being catapulted into fight fight or flight mode at the slightest trigger or letting significant relationships be impacted without the ability to really process and heal you know and without that i would definitely say i was an emotional ball of anxiety and anger (coughs) if you've experienced childhood trauma studies show that you're probably also primed for greater levels of cortisol, which is your stress hormone. Um, This quote right here is from a study done in 2008 by the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Emory University School of Medicine, which says a primed system will hyper respond during acute stress or during the occurrence of traumatic reminders because the interactive neuroendocrine and neurotransmitter effects activated by life stressors on the dysregulated LHPA axis. So what that means, essentially, the LHP axis stands for limbic hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which is basically just your endocrine response, stress response system. And so that's responsible for helping your bodies remain stable under physiological and psychological stress. Failure to activate or inhibit that stress response can result in permanent effects on a number of developing systems, including your central nervous system. Emory University also did another study in 2001 on altered pituitary adrenal axis responses to certain challenges in adult survivors of childhood abuse, which showed that women with a history of abuse who also had major depressive disorder were more likely to suffer from PTSD and reported experiencing more life stress than women who had abuse without MDD. So another thing that will be impacted is the brain's production of serotonin, which I've kind of already addressed as it is a critical element of the stress response system. However, serotonin plays a really important role in regulating our emotions, behaviors, for example, aggression or impulsivity, Cognitive function, motor function, appetite, sleep function, cardiovascular function, brain development. I mean, so on and so forth, right? Like, I definitely <clears throat> I definitely wanted to highlight that in itself because serotonin impacts so much just in itself. <sighs> Decreased levels of serotonin are linked to mental health problems such as chronic depression or anxiety as well as aggressive behaviors in individuals with personality disorders. For example, borderline personality disorder. Negative life events also impact the regulation and production of oxytocin, which is responsible for your sexual response, as well as a lot of social interactions like social memory and cognition, emotional recognition, empathy, and, oh, wait for it, your attachment system, which we talked about in the last episode. (laughs) So it's crazy to see how all this stuff connects, right? Anyways, there was actually um, also a study done on rats in the year 2000 by the Developmental Neuroendocrinology Lab at McGill University in Montreal, Canada, 
which shows that higher levels of oxytocin in mama rats resulted in them displaying more licking and grooming behaviors towards their offspring, which resulted in a higher dopamine production as well, as opposed to mama rats with lower levels of oxytocin who displayed a lower level of attachment to their offspring. <clears throat> Other things that can be impacted through trauma are your immune system, your cognitive development, possibly a lower IQ, your memory, your visual attention, planning, problem solving, as well as actual brain structures, for example, a smaller prefrontal cortex or a larger frontal lobe. I know that all of this information is a lot to take in, and I do tend to kind of like talk fast and, and breeze through it because I'm wanting to keep these episodes like short, you know, um, so that you can kind of take in a lot of content, but it's not an hour of just all of these facts and terminology. So um, I will go ahead and end this portion on a good note, which is to say that evidence-based interventions do show a lot of promise in the treatment of most of these things, and it is possible to heal most of this dysregulation. It was actually a study done in um, 2009 by a federal university in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, that showed, um, based on functional MRI review, Cognitive behavioral therapy can actually alleviate dysregulation of the fear response and negative emotions associated with anxiety disorders. So it can actually change dysfunction of the nervous system. Um, <clears throat> well, hopefully I didn't bore you guys to death, but I do hope that provided a little bit more clarity on the complexity of trauma and how our systems can be physically altered by these experiences. I can honestly say that a good 15 years of my life were negatively impacted by the things that I experienced as a child, and it probably wasn't until I started therapy at the age of 27 that I saw the depths of this impaction, you know? I mean, I knew I was depressed, I knew I was self-medicating, I knew I was running from my emotions, but I definitely had no idea how much I was still carrying those things with me into adulthood and my late 20s. You know, like I definitely thought I got over it years ago and yet here I am at the age of 27 still avoiding eye contact in a serious conversation with a man I'm attracted to because I'm trying to keep him at a distance, you know. Um, yeah, it definitely, it definitely changed my life and there was a time, you know, where I was like, man, I wasted all of these years <laughs> displaying these behaviors and, and being impacted by something and I can't take it back, you know, and I wish I could, but it is what it is, you know, it definitely, it definitely taught me a lot. And it's been really interesting to, to go through cognitive behavioral therapy and be able to, to notice a decrease in that jump to fight or flight, you know, and actually being able to see that I can talk about some of these experiences without having a panic attack, <laughs> Anyways, um, if you are struggling with PTSD or you're having some PTSS, like post-traumatic stress symptoms, I, I would encourage, you know, to reach out to someone who can help you with cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, or if that's out of your budget, there are also some really good cognitive behavioral therapy books on Amazon. One that I have personally read um, that I found to be great is Cognitive Behavioral Therapy Made Simple by Dr. Seth Gilliham. Um, I also need to go ahead and create that blog post made with my references and a link to that book as well. So um, I'll have that up on my website 
at some point. <laughs> um, if you do need immediate PTSD assistance, you can reach out to the National Center for PTSD by calling 1-800-273-8255, and you can press 1 if you're a veteran. Um, lastly, I know that some people have emailed me asking how often to expect podcast episodes, and I do just want to clarify that I'm probably never going to be one of those once-a-week type of people. Um, I am in school, and I have a full-time job and an internship as well, so just realistically, I think that it'll probably be around twice a month. And if you do have any other questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to me via email, which is natasha at brightsoulhealing.com. So thank you guys for hanging out with me today. I know this was super brief, but I kind of just wanted to cover all of the things that can be impacted and put that on some people's minds. See you guys next time. <laughs>